Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. I can't believe it. I'm now, I mean, as if he isn't bad enough with a cold swimming, I'm today podcasting with a Jane who had what for breakfast? A, a cheese straw. Oh, sorry about that. Sort your life out. Um, but I didn't actually have time to eat properly today. It's been very snacky because I spent most of the day on Ticketmaster getting Taylor Swift and tickets. And have you got them? I have four tickets for Stockholm, Jane. Stockholm? Stockholm. Get you. So why can't um, you go so, somewhere? What's wrong well, with Liverpool? Well, nothing. I, I registered for Liverpool and Edinburgh and Dublin and London and Paris and everywhere. I only got one of those special Cody things for Stockholm. And it was quite tense because I got let in the waiting room and then let into the queue and I was 52,000th in the queue. Wow. And I thought, okay, that's actually not bad. I did some maths. It's a 60,000-seater stadium, the three nights. I might have a chance. Mm -hmm. And then everyone got very invested around me at sort of the two-hour mark when I was like 5,000 people away. And then when I did get in and I managed to buy some tickets, I wasn't registered for Ticketmaster Stockholm or Sweden. So I had to re-register while the clock was counting down oh my God. in Swedish. It was, it, there was so much jeopardy, Jane. I'm sorry. I think that sounds awful. And I only <laughs> hope the performance lives up to that effort you made. Oh, it's forgotten now. I'm just very... Now, I just have to choose who I'm going to take. Because there's two 13-year-old girls that will never forgive me if I don't. Oh, my goodness. Um, But the problem is the four seats aren't together. Oh. I mean, they're quite close, but they're not together. So, hmm. I might just be taking three random people. Uh, First of all, I mean, I have not been to Stockholm, but I think we mentioned Stockholm last night as well, didn't we? And you really love it. I love it. So I'm very happy to go back there. Yeah. Okay. And I've also booked for hotel rooms because when Beyonce played in Stockholm, it was about £11,000 for a hotel and she actually has been held Sorry. responsible. She's been held responsible for causing inflation in Sweden. Oh, yes, she was, yeah. wasn't she? Yeah, OK. Um, do you have a particular Taylor song that is your favourite? Many, many Taylor Swift songs are my favourite, but I have a special place in my heart for Red because um, it reminds me of a really bad breakup that I had just before I saw her perform it acoustically at the Country Music Awards. Right. I, I'm going to say something controversial now. Um, I wanted her to stick with that nice British lad. Yeah, Joe Alwyn. Joe Alwyn, yeah. And I'm not as invested 
in Matty Healy. I don't think she is either anymore. Well, no, apparently she is again. No. Oh, well... Mm. Oh, you're not sure? I don't know. Oh, okay. Possibly. Right, the song you didn't ask, but uh, you're actually playing the part of Jane in the Jane and Fee show. But my favourite <laughs> Taylor Swift song is um, Exile with oh. the Bon, the Boniver. Is mm-hmm. it Bon Iver? Boniver. I really like that. Mm. I was playing that only this morning. No one's interested. Well, it's right. interesting though, because I'm not that keen on the kind of folklore you see, eras. I no, I love that album. Mm. That one actually did speak to me, and I am less interested, if I'm honest, in her other stuff. But I think her lyrics, I think she is probably, because she's not male, somewhat underrated as a songwriter. I always felt the same way about Lily Allen. Who I, I completely thought, agree. I thought wrote great songs and wasn't always given the credit that she deserved. And she wrote songs about, you know, the one about London, which I absolutely yeah, love. I mean, there's just other stuff that she wrote about that was unusual. And she, she, wrote, a, she wrote about men not bringing her the pleasure that she deserved yes, what in was, bed. What was that called? Uh, that's called... Uh, oh, God. Um, mm, no, it's not called that. Um, <laughs> it's definitely not called that. Um, it's called... Never mind. We'll come back to that one. Somebody will know. Now, um, you. there's no reason why you would know this, but last week when Phoebe was here, the conversation moved on, and I cannot remember why, I have to confess, to Shawaddy Waddy. <laughs> um, and you weren't expecting that, were you? Uh, Shawaddy Waddy were the hugely successful 50s-style sort of pastiche band that were massively successful. I think in the 70s and probably the early 80s. I don't think they went on much after that. Anyway, don't remember. Uh, do I look blank? You do I look, feel like no, I might you, look, you look blank. blank. It's absolutely fine. You do look blank. Uh, Nikki, I just wondered whether anyone had even the most tenuous connection to Shawadi Wadi. And I knew you would deliver. And Nikki has. She says, I live down the road from the drummer of Shawadi Wadi. He runs a small gig venue. And it often also, and he often also has hot rod and bike shows connected to music gatherings. There are classic American cars. Once I was on the toilet and heard a knock at the door. My partner answered, and a voice said, "Hello, I'm the ex drummer of Shuwati Wati," <laughs> and wondered if you'd like to bring your car to my gig. It was a sentence I never expected to hear. Oddly surreal on a Sunday morning in the haze of having just got up. Thank you, Nikki. Fantastic. That is exactly what I wanted to hear. Um, incidentally, while looking, it's, it's not. I was about to say, not fair. It's not fair. By Lily Allen. Yeah. Um, I'm glad that came to me in my very slow fog this afternoon. Yeah. Foggy from all the effort on Ticketmaster today, I tell know. you. Well, you deserve a lie down. Thank you. Actually, um, tonight's the night I might stay up late enough to watch Newsnight. Actually, i tell you what I'll do. I'll take my iPad to bed and watch it there. Oh, treat yourself. I'll tell you what, we're a night. Carry on. Um, this email pleases me on many levels, not just because it is addressed to Dear Jane and Jane. So clearly someone's, someone's listening got yesterday. Someone's the message. Yeah. Um, my car journey, writes the listener, was slightly delayed this morning by a man commuting to work on his penny farthing. Okay, well, go on. Sorry I don't have a picture for your Instagram page, says Lucy. So, Lucy, I'd like to say thank you for your email and also congratulations on not committing a motoring violation in the name of the show. But I would have liked to have seen a man on his penny farthing in well, central London. as far as I know, the only person in Britain who regularly rides a penny farthing is Jeremy Vine. I'm sure there might be others. I don't know whether there are. I mean, the last time I saw Jeremy Vine, because we live, loosely speaking, relatively close to each other, he was in the full gear with a kind of funny Victorian, I hope I'm right, possibly Edwardian cap on. 
And Does he stick on a sort of handlebar moustache as well? He hadn't gone that far, although I wouldn't rule it out. <laughs> and I know a lot of famous people don't like attention. It's the last thing they want. But I slightly got the impression that maybe attention was something he wanted. That brings me on to another thing on my mind today, which is PRs. I'm not going oh. to mention why they're on my mind. But uh, you have dealt with a, a lot of very famous people over the years. And yeah. they always say that celebrities can be difficult. And indeed, some can. Many are very pleasant. But it's a bit of a cliche, but true, to say that it's often the people around them who are worse. Has that been your experience? Um, if I tell you that... I would say at least 50% of Saturday mornings are spent with me dealing with irate publicists from, you know, slightly slightly too very unhappy with all manner of things that we've put in the Times magazine. Okay, so well, they've read the article yeah. and, and they don't like what? The tone, Ooh, the, the tone, content? The headline, the content, the pictures, anything, any tiny detail. Yes. And are they the sort of people you might expect? In other words... Uh, can I assume that the more famous the individual, the more pernickety their publicist is likely to be? Often the other way around. Okay. It's often A-listers, absolutely fine. Mm. Um, people who might not be total household names, often very demanding. And do they not understand the basics, for example, even I know, and I'm not a print journalist, that the person who's written the article doesn't write the headline. No, but I have a sort of twin job in that sometimes I write, but I edit as well. So right. I am the person who deals with the publicist, sets it up, negotiates interviews, negotiates shoots, things like that. So I'm the person in the firing line. Yeah, and I have to say this isn't all publicists. Some publicists, a proportion of publicists, are dreams to work with. Mm. They send you a lovely thank you. Mm. They're very happy with everything. They never look to change anything. And they understand too that you're doing your job Absolutely. just as they're doing theirs. I will say, having spent a decade in the US... The further west you go in the world, the trickier publicists seem to be. So London publicists in general, you know, very happy just to do a Sambuca shot with you and get a lovely spread in the magazine. Mm. New York publicists, tiny bit trickier, so you know, a little bit demanding. LA publicists... Oh, my God. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't... Different species. What is the single most idiotic thing oh they've God. demanded? <laughs> um, gosh, the single most idiotic thing they've demanded... Oh. Um, I mean, I've been thrown out of press conferences and been told I would never be allowed near that person, said person or anyone around them again. Um, that must hurt. Yeah, it was okay because that person didn't really do much after that. Oh. So that was gratifying. That's the curse of Mulcairins. <laughs> I put a uh, hex on them. Yeah, avoid it at your peril. <laughs> it is interesting, isn't it? Because you would think they'd be grateful for any publicity, but mm, it's probably not true. No, I don't think that they see it that way always. Right, what else have you got there? Um, I've got a email from uh, a listener in West Yorkshire. So um, this is about memorable pieces of writing, which I think you were discussing oh, yes. recently. Uh, and this listener has recommended Iran Was a Hogwarts by Ariane Shavizi, I think. Mm -hmm. It was a Guardian long read from September 2021. Um our listener says, it's the only newspaper article in the last few years I've shared with other people and returned to for the sheer pleasure of the writing and the breadth of its content and connections made. But I also love this email because it says, found your show and podcast very recently, Jane and Fee. 
Now I enjoy a daily fix. So listening to the older podcasts on the days you don't broadcast. Could you possibly plan to work seven days a week fairly soon? Well, as I may run out of episodes. I'm sure you'd be delighted, Jane. You? I love my four-day week here. <laughs> I have to say, it would take quite a lot to encourage me to come in seven days, seven a, week. days a week. I might possibly, for the right amount of money, be prepared to squeeze out another day. But no one suggested it so far. <laughs> So we can probably forget it. Um, and we should say that uh, we did talk, I think we did talk, didn't we, yesterday on the podcast about the big talking point across the country, which is the unnamed uh, BBC presenter. I have to say, as we speak this evening, uh, with the latest twist in what has been quite the saga, is that a second person, unconnected to the first, has now um, has now told the BBC that they have been sent threatening messages by this suspended BBC presenter on a dating app. I don't think this unnamed business is going to stagger on much longer. In fact, when people hear this, it might actually all be all be out there. I have to say, I, I'm surprised. We're on about day four or five, aren't we? And I, yeah. I didn't think it would hold this long, to be honest. I think there are questions about why, whether it's a good thing for it to hold. I, I mean, I don't know. Well, I, mean, I think I also know. the Daily Mail's front page today said one in six people in the UK know who this person is. I think it's, I think it's more like 96%. I think so. Yeah, which, I mean, does beg questions of its own, of course. But I, I know that on one of my WhatsApp groups, somebody was saying that their relatively elderly mum had been at Aqua Aerobics and everybody there knew all about it and certainly knew the identity. So, I mean, there's some very serious issues at, at play here, so we're not making light of it, but... This has been, I mean, it's so easy to say, oh, there are so many more important things in the world, and there absolutely are. But sometimes, even with my dainty journalist head on, even I can recognise what's a cracking story. And this this is one, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think if anyone of this level of the alleged person, the person who's being mm. rumoured to be, this level of public prominence, I mean, it can't help but be a story that everyone is completely agog yeah, I think a gog um, isn't used as much as it should be, <laughs> and it's certainly at play this week. Um, we'll have an interview in a couple of minutes, I should say. It's with a great author. I really recommend this book. If you're into sort of psychological thrillers and twisty, tw- twisty, twerny, twisty, turny stories, uh, particularly about parenthood, this is one for you. It's called The Other Mothers. But I just want to alert people to the presence tomorrow on Off Air of David Tennant who is a big guest for us. Um, I recorded the interview earlier and it's going to be on the Times Radio show and on Off Air tomorrow. Now, you must have interviewed David Tennant. I've tried many times and not actually managed to interview him. Um, And how did you find him? Well, he's a very, very... um, He's 52 and um, he, he could be 40... He could be a decade younger. And I say that... Um, I slightly confused him because I asked a question... What was meant to be a faintly comic question about how do you keep yourself looking young. I wasn't saying, it wasn't a kind of arch way of saying, have you had work? Um, I, I, I just wondered, because he's very skinny as well. And actually, oh, I that's quite an interesting, looking I, young while looking skinny. Yeah, well, I wouldn't normally say um, that I wouldn't pass a judgment on somebody's body shape, but he is notably, he's, he's sort of one of those blokes who is 70% sinew. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And some people are just really lucky that way. Um, Anyway, I I then told him that I was actually 75. (laughs) And poor man, he didn't actually know what to do with that information because I'm not 75. Uh, And what was very sweet was that in the room were various of my quite young colleagues 
Um, and they didn't really know either whether I was, <laughs> I was telling the truth. So I, I genuinely, I'm a slightly shattered individual as I sit here tonight. But that just shows, if you can't do, don't attempt humour. No, I've been told that so many times <laughs> in my broadcasting career. I've been told time and time again, you don't need to do that. But I just don't learn. Can't help yourself. No, I can't. I can't help myself, <laughs> and it's very, very poor. Right, um, I allow you one more email because yesterday I know we ate into the studio time, and it got all very annoying for people. Um, this is a email from Rhonda who says, "Dear Jane and Fee slash Jane slash Fee and Jane." Love your show. Been listening since you were with the other folk. And I love the way you bounce off each other. Mm-hmm. I have to say, though, oh, yeah. I don't know some of your guests and would be just as happy to listen to you two wishering on for the duration of the show. But then she does go on to suggest some guests. Yeah. So she suggests Professor Mary Beard. Oh, I'd love that, yeah. Yeah, she's actually got a book coming out quite soon. Oh, well, so. we'll, we'll yeah. have her, yeah. Um, Professor Dame Sue Black. Uh, I've interviewed her, oh, yeah, she's interesting. Yep. Her. Mo- Mona Siddiqui mm-hmm. and Grace and Perry. Oh, love them. Oh, yeah. I think we can say yes to all of them. I think, yeah, I'm not sure that Rhonda is offering them, but um, oh. I think she's just saying she'd like to listen to them, as well as you and Fee. So she's, she's not their PR. Sadly no. not. She's okay. far too nice. This right. is far too polite an email. Okay. Um, this is from Kate, who says, if you're seeking a gender balance in your, in your podcast life, uh, she would wholly recommend Alan Alder's Clear and Vivid podcast. I didn't know he did one. No, me neither. In fact, I wasn't sure he was alive. Well, that would be a great podcast to be on the grave. I mean, that would be fee- that would be a dream for Fee and I to <laughs> podcast from the other side, and I wouldn't rule it out. Uh, the way life's going, I honestly wouldn't rule it out. Well, you're looking very good for seventy-five. Then, yeah, yeah, enough of that. Um, uh, Kate also mentions James May yesterday uh, and says that um, James is right that stabilizers are really not the best way to learn to ride a bike. I remember my own difficulties in the eighties as really young kids can basically pick up the. Rec- Requisite balancing skills during 18 months of just pushing a balance bike around the house. This then leads to that glorious day when you can put them on their first pedal bike at three or four and watch them literally just cycle off perfectly at the first attempt. Nothing beats seeing the pleasure and pride on their faces as they realise they can ride a bike and when they feel that first taste of freedom and independence. Yeah, I'm not sure whether that's true. I certainly needed my stabilisers. And frankly, if I was to ride a bike now, I might need them again. I sometimes need them when I'm just on my legs. Yeah, well, yes, quite. Well, yes, with your social life, you <laughs> certainly do. Jane's sort of very, how can I describe it? You're always out, aren't you? <laughs> that is how to describe it. <laughs> <laughs> just always out. I just don't understand it. Although I am going out myself tonight. And tomorrow night, Jane, and prepare to be jealous, tomorrow night I'm going to see... Get your face ready. Aspects of love. <laughs> I actually love musicals, Jane. You did nearly laugh, but then musicals. you stopped yourself. No, I've, and I've seen the adverts in the tube for it. Yeah, Michael Ball. Michael Ball, yeah. No as- aspects of love. Well, I don't think anyone can resist Michael Ball. I certainly can't. No? And he's going to be on the programme next week. And so I'm going to see the show tomorrow night with a mate from school. Do you know what? I am actually quite jealous, Jane. I know oh. you said it You said it with irony, but no, I'm actually no. quite jealous. Well, if your friend gets ill, I think she looks fighting fit. Yeah, sorry about that. Uh, Today's guest is the author Catherine Faulkner, who was on the programme to talk about her second novel, The Other Mothers. Now, Catherine used to be in a very, very important job at uh, Times Newspapers, and she'll talk about that in the interview. Uh, But as a former journalist then, I asked her if it had secretly been 
uh, her dream, perhaps it was everyone in the newsroom's dream, to end up writing a best-selling book. <laughs> I don't know about that, although it's nothing special, certainly being an author in this office. Everybody seems to be writing a book. Um, but um, and I don't know that it was my dream forever, although I did, I've always written stories. But um, no, I love being a journalist. I still do journalism as well, but yeah. uh, no, f- for all intents and purposes, I'm a full-time writer now. Well, you wrote uh, the best-selling Greenwich Park uh, when your eldest child was a newborn. Now, just tell me a little bit about that. Did you really take her to the park and then, when she nodded off, get your laptop out? I really did, yeah. I mean, she didn't sleep at night, so she slept okay. quite a lot Made up picture in the day. <laughs> yeah, and I was terrible at sleeping when your baby sleeps and all that. So I did used to take the laptop out in the pram and have it underneath and then when she nodded off I used to whip it out sometimes and find a coffee shop or and yeah and write a little bit but obviously I didn't make much progress doing that but when she as she got a little bit bigger I started thinking yeah no I really want to write this story. And that story had come to you, I gather, at an antenatal class? Yeah, exactly. So I, it was when I was pregnant that I had this idea for a book. Um, I had the idea for a book about a how do you undo a friendship? What happens if you make friends with somebody and you find you can't get rid of them out of your life? And I found all that really interesting because I think the rules for romantic engagement are quite clear, but yeah. it's harder with friendships between women. I just think they're really complicated and interesting. And then when I went to my first antenatal class, that's when I had this light bulb moment of this is it. This is the moment where these two characters are going to meet and form this completely unwise friendship because it's just such a weird situation. It's just so bizarre. You're expected, you're just initiated into this group of people and expected to talk about really intimate things with them, about birth and, you know, vaginas and God knows yeah. what else. And sitting around and you're all pregnant and it's it was really hot. And I just thought, this is perfect. This is it. This is the scenario. So, and yeah, so that's how it kind of came together in my mind. And then I started writing it when I was pregnant and then carried on, yeah, when, the, when, when she was born. Okay, well, it went on to be a huge success. So you're obviously onto something. You're quite right. And The Other Mothers is the follow-up, which is out now. It came out a couple of weeks ago. Now, I guess it comes from the sort of genre, and it's very popular these days, kind of maternity or maternal noir. Yeah, it's been termed mum noir. Okay, mum noir. So <laughs> sort of a sub-genre. Yeah, it, it is. But it's why do you think it's so popular? I think there's a number of things. I think we've started... I think we've started talking about the more difficult side of motherhood and we've talked we started to talk about motherhood more honestly and we're kind of more prepared to explore i think the sort of psychological difficulties that come with motherhood and maybe that's because as a generation we're more used to talking about these things um but i think for somebody who's always been interested in dark stories and so much of my recent life has been about having young children um, the two things sort of, this sounds awful, but they seem like a kind of natural fit for each other. I mean, when you're pregnant, you there is so much going on it's psychologically for women, the way that you're treated differently and seen differently suddenly. And it's almost like you embody something that's not entirely you. And you're, you're losing your sense of yourself as this person, of the person you were before, without really knowing what the future is as a mother and what that means and what, what that person looks like. You're in this kind of weird limbo space. And I found that psychologically really interesting so I thought exploring the idea of somebody going through all of that psychological darkness and then adding this storyline into the mix of making 
forming a, a friendship that mm. you kind of want to back out of and then finally you can't and this person is really trying to get their claws into your life the two things together felt to me like a very exciting and interesting mixture so i was trying to work out when the first of these sorts of novels came about and do, do you remember a book called the hive yes jill hornby mm-hmm. which was i think it came out in 20 something yeah uh and it was about was that about a primary school yes i think it was about the school gates wasn't it and the pta from mm. from memory and I've, i really don't know whether that's the first novel of that type but that was all about friendships and competitiveness and psychological warfare of one, <laughs> one sort or another. And I wonder whether it's all... I mean, I read these books, I should say, and I really enjoyed The Other Mothers, but mm. is it is it a bit sexist? Are women being hard on each other, hard on ourselves? What do you think? In terms of it always being portrayed as yes, women being competitive Because I other. guess women also, overwhelmingly, it'll be women who read this book and enjoy it, I should mm-hmm. say. Um, I don't know. Maybe, I mean, what do you think? Well, I think that... There is definitely a trope that is just untrue, that the school gates are about competition between mothers, one-upmanship. I think all that is quite sexist and outdated. But there is a lot going on at the school and playgroup gates, Mm. I think, for lots of different reasons. Um, So I think because their parenthood now, everybody makes really different choices. We're all quite different as parents. I think that in our Mother's Day, maybe there was a sense that we were all kind of in the same boat and women parented in the same way and families were were kind of broadly the same. Now, it's really different, whether you're working, whether you're not working, Mm. the choices you're making about childcare. People arrange their lives so differently and the school gate or the the school or the playgroup drop-off or the nursery drop-off is kind of the moment where all those choices are on display and you're very visible to each other. And you are probably, because everybody's making different choices, you're probably second-guessing your your choices, wondering if they're the right choices. Everybody's also doing the same. And so because you're second-guessing your choices, you're probably thinking, are other people judging me for having a nanny and going to work five days a week? Or do they think I'm stupid because I'm a stay-at-home mother and all of them go out to work? Whether any of this is real mm. is sort of beside the point, I think, for psychological fiction. I actually think that it's what is going on in our heads is as interesting as what's going on in reality. Yes. And sometimes the, the disconnect is interesting. So I think you, I think that it's not sexist to, to be interested in those things and explore those things. I think, actually, what's quite sexist is that that stuff is branded sort of trivial and has not been branded sort of high proper fiction. These are the things that is the stuff of of being a woman, of being a mother, and it's the stuff of our lives and what's what goes on in our heads. Well, and... society judges you as a mother anyway. Um, yeah. Uh, whether you judge yourself or whether your friends judge you or whether you judge them. Yeah. Fathers are not are still not judged in the same way. No, absolutely not. I don't think they... I think that they don't seem to experience this kind of psychological pressure. Mm. I think that part of it is that there's an awful... There's also social media in the mix now and this and also parenting manuals and books and approaches to parenting. Well, and, are, and women who, let's be honest, monetize motherhood exactly. in, in a way that wasn't ever done before. Which we all then consume. And I think that all of that in the mix, there's been a depletion in our time for active mothering because of women being a more active part of the workforce but there's also been an explosion of expectation around mothering and and that's been as you say commoditized and um monetized online and it's been fed back to us constantly via our phones and so the disconnect between the kind of shrinking amount of time we really have to kind of achieve these mothering ideals yeah. plus these mad ideals that never existed for my parents generation i mean my mum would just say to me what you know what this I remember her picking up a parenting book that I was trying to stick to a schedule with my daughter, you know, like nap at this time, sleep at this. She was like, what? 
what is this? We've never had this, you know. You just slept when you wanted to or you just, you know, you asked your mum what she did or it was just the pressure that is inherent in all these different things was was never there. So I think all of that is does make it a specific psychological experience to be a parent today. And I think that's worth talking about and worth exploring. Oh, I completely agree. I mean, on television as well, Big Little Lies, um, Motherland, all these shows. Have yeah, been... they've hit a chord and I oh, think there's totally. a reason why. Yeah, I mean, I wonder as well whether perhaps women who, like yourself actually, had very high-level, demanding professional lives and then you are bound to carry with you into parenthood some of that drive and some of that perfectionism. You can't just leave it yeah. and never revisit that side of yourself. I think there is a really specific thing go- that goes on there for, for a lot of women, certainly for me. And I think the mistake that I actually made with my first daughter was that I thought that motherhood was something you could be good at or, or win at it even, you know, that you could succeed at, you know, that I and there were certain things that I needed to tick off. I wanted to get her sleeping through the night and I wanted to take her to Gymboree and I wanted to, you know, and I needed to expose her and stimulate her mentally by taking her to a sensory class I mean you're laughing at me but this is what sorry (laughs) it's okay I'm laughing at myself but it's ridiculous now I know better of course but then I think I sort of thought I had to there must be a structure there must be a thing like like in my job there must be a way of being good at it and then I realized that no it's just a it's just a state of being and it's just being present I suppose and fulfilling their basic needs and just muddling through like everyone else is and... I mean I do relate I mean as a sort of really thin-skinned broadcaster I have to say I was used to people telling me at the end of a working day darling you were marvellous and, <laughs> no, exactly. uh, and I was fully expecting someone to say that to me um, after a day at home I know, a... and I think I used to try and elicit it out of my husband a bit yeah. as well yeah, well you know we've been to this class and then I took her for a long walk around the park and then I fed her some pureed carrot that I'd made and and, and he was like yeah okay and I was just like well where's my where's my thank you give you me know? a badge yeah well, am I going to get promoted <laughs> One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. I'm talking to the author Catherine Faulkner, whose new book, The Other Mothers, is out now. Here she explains the premise in this book, in which a character, Tash, who may or may not be based on Catherine, is looking to get back into journalism. She is desperate to relaunch her career 
and she's convinced that the death of a nanny who was found at a local beauty spot is the scoop to do that. Um, but first she needs to get her son to settle at this playgroup, which is in a exclusive neighbourhood of London, which she doesn't really live in, but she kind of lives on the edge of, and where she has recently befriended this very exclusive group of, of other mothers at the playgroup gates, whose uh, money lifestyle she finds very seductive. And she and is she a can... little short of money, isn't she? It's all yes. relative. Yes, absolutely. She is struggling to afford the life she would like to live, and she's the sort of person who's addicted to scrolling right move for houses she can't afford. And... And as she continues her investigation into the death of this nanny, Sophie, it draws her uncomfortably close to the other mothers at her son's playgroup who live in this beautiful world that she would very much like to be a part of. And she starts to wonder whether maybe there's another reason why they've accepted her so readily into their exclusive little circle. Yeah, and I think we've all had that feeling of just being, well, not perhaps doubting our acceptance into a group like that, but wanting to be a part of a group we perceive, perhaps wrongly, to be the one to be a member of. That's right. And what I find interesting about the school gates and the playgroup gates is that sometimes it feels like a slight rerun of school a little bit Mm. because you're suddenly thrust into this social situation with complete strangers, but that feels sort of important. And it's more fraught, of course, because it's tied up with your hopes about your children. You want them socially to be part of a group. You want them to be accepted and part of the gang. And you sort of think that maybe it's important that you are also part of the gang so that they'll make things easier for them. And Tash finds all that a little bit challenging, especially because she feels herself to be not quite on the same level socially and financially as these other women at the playgroup. But in every dream home a heartache, I mean, you can have the biggest kitchen island on earth, but you could actually be as miserable as sin couldn't you absolutely and i think what's uh what tash starts to realize is that once you scratch away at the surface of some of these perfect lies there's uh there's a lot of darkness that lurks underneath and thank goodness because we are talking about we are talking about <laughs> a thriller here. um i mean there's a, there is a sort of tyranny isn't there as well of of whatsapp groups um i do remember this i'm to an extent we're all members of any number of different whatsapp groups and certainly mine have been pinging away like there's no tomorrow over the last couple of days for reasons that will probably be all too obvious um and this is something that sometimes you can feel well i don't know they're they're stressful aren't they yeah yeah i mean the whatsapp groups now especially if you have multiple children at the same school and you're part of multiple groups it becomes very overwhelming and i do know i mean i've done lots of different done it lots of different ways since I've had kids I've worked full-time I've worked part-time now I work pretty flexibly um but I do know that for women who work in really demanding high-level jobs who whose kids are in my daughter's class they find the whatsapp group really hard because they a it's constant and b it's just they feel give me an idea without invading anybody's privacy but an idea of the sort of information routinely exchanged on a primary school whatsapp group uh I mean it's everything I mean, there's just endless school admin requests for money, requests for kit, costumes, you know. The other day we had to make a Tudor house and, um, you know... Not at short notice, surely. Well, it shouldn't have been at short notice, but my child's not always the best at communicating these messages. So I found myself at short notice constructing a Tudor house on a Tuesday evening. But what was quite funny about the whole WhatsApp group thing is that I then WhatsApped my street WhatsApp, which is a separate non-school group, and said, I'm constructing a Tudor house. Has anybody got a glue gun? And what was really funny is that I had three or four mothers come back saying, I've got a Tudor house. I've got a Tudor house from when my son was in year one. 
Oh, Please fabulous. take my Tudor house. I've got a cardboard Tudor house. Do you want it? Completely constructed, ready to go. Oven ready, as Boris would say. So, I mean, it is just, a, it's just, you have to see the funny side. But there's also stuff, you know, suddenly they'll want a costume. We're making a parade. We're doing this or that. It, it is. And also they'll sometimes there will be parents who come on the WhatsApp group and say they're really unhappy about something the school's done or that's right. happened in the class and they're kind of recruiting people but of course to sign you may a letter. Or, you may or may not agree. You may or may not agree. And I think what's really hard in those sorts of groups is that some people don't really have that awareness that maybe the WhatsApp group isn't the right forum for that. And so Ouch. it can all get a little bit um, painful. Yeah, it does sound immensely stressful. The other thing that you write about, and I, I don't think this is really still explored enough, is... The whole idea of being a nanny, having a nanny, mm. and having as a nanny extraordinary access to a household and the way it operates or doesn't operate. Yeah, absolutely. I do think that it's absolutely fascinating, the whole dynamic between uh, nannies and women who work. And I think lot any, any working mother has had to, you know subcontract some of the childcare to somebody else and that relationship is just necessarily fraught um and um but I think there is a specific thing about having a nanny especially one like Sophie in my book who lives within your home of not knowing where those boundaries are because they become to all intents and purposes part of the family Mm -hmm. they're doing the job of raising your child with you but yet there is a boundary there they're not part of the family they don't enjoy the same position and the way that also that they're treated by other women at the school gate i think that's really interesting is also really fascinating and um, because they're not quite a member of their gang well they can't be no and actually the other mothers don't necessarily really want to hang out with them they want to hang out with the mother and I can't really un- I can't really imagine what that experience is like for a nanny who and it, I think the whole thing is interesting and um, I find all these kind of little wrinkles in relationships between women just fascinating and I, I love writing about them. Yeah, I mean, uh, what about your own status <laughs> as a writer and indeed a member of WhatsApp groups uh, <laughs> and indeed a parent? Um, do people trust you anymore with information? I mean... I haven't written about anybody real, so... So you say, Catherine. No, so I say. I know. I um, It's quite funny, that whole dynamic, actually. It is genuinely very funny, because I, I wrote this novel bef- before I was ever part of a school WhatsApp group, because I wrote it when my daughter was very small. And she did briefly get, go to a play group, but she... Um, but then we had COVID. So I wrote this during a pandemic when I was stuck at home with both of them. Frankly, I would have killed for a nanny. Um, but I... Um, I do think that um, it's people do tend to think that they're in your book, and it is quite funny. They always seem to think, "Oh, is it about me?" Yeah, um, which is is just it's just an interesting dynamic. I don't know whether people don't tell me secrets and things because they think it's going to end up in a book. But what do you think is the best book about motherhood? Have you read? I think I want to get the title right. Soldier Sailor. I haven't, and I'm dying to read okay, it. So I'm it, sorry. That's forgive a terrible. Me. Is it Claire? Kilroy? I think it's Claire. Yeah, I think that's her name. It sounds incredible. Um, I haven't read that. The most disturbing one, uh, which I actually recently reread for something, was uh, Lullaby by Leila. I'm going to mispronounce her name now. um, Slimani. Slimani, I think, yes. We should both know that, shouldn't we? And that is the most... That's a very haunting portrait of a relationship that goes wrong between a nanny and a working mother. mother, And an an exploration of the way that the mother sees the nanny... Um, as a sort of not really a, a whole person um, and also the way that the nanny al- almost become, comes to manifest that 
by not being treated as a whole person, I thought was very, very good. Very it's, a, it's a very, very challenging... Very difficult book, though. <laughs> yeah, it's a, 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 yes, it's not one to take on your holiday. No, mine's more of a beach Yeah, read. I was about to say, um, <laughs> please, don't, please don't think that Catherine's book is something you couldn't read no. on holiday, she said, in the middle of July, talking about a book <laughs> to its author. It's you very, definitely can. Yeah, you definitely can, because it is, the, it is a page-turner, and it's told from different perspectives, and I genuinely was kept guessing. Oh, well, I'm delighted to hear no, it. So congratulations to you on it. And what's next? Another book. Yeah, but what's it going to be about? Oh, well... So I can nick your plot. I am probably not quite at the stage of talking about it yet, but it is about... It's also about motherhood, uh, but it's actually a sort of different kind of setup, and it's really it's a book about how um, a single act of violence can define your future and also make you think very differently about your past okay that's not too vague no no that's i mean listen you've got no reason to just offload the the latest plot you've thought of to me <laughs> you're presuming i've actually got it worked out that's no, the thing I, is that it, i mean i could be a best-selling author too if i could just have that idea Catherine. it's just a question of getting the idea for the book um and i haven't got any ideas so um i'm not not going to be any kind of an author anytime soon Catherine Faulkner, and honestly, if you really do need a cracking page turner, that's the one for you. The Other Mothers is out now. Uh, back tomorrow in the company of Jane and David Tennant. I mean, how many people can say that? Wow. If you want to send an email in, if you've got a comment on David Tennant, you admire his best work, perhaps you know what you think his best work is. It's Jane and Fee at times.radio. Thank you very much for listening. We're bringing the shutters down on another episode of the internationally acclaimed podcast Off Air with Jane Garvey and Fee Glover. Our Times Radio producer is Rosie Cutler and the podcast executive producer is Henry Tribe. But don't forget that you can get another two hours of us every Monday to Thursday afternoon here on Times Radio. We start at 3pm and you can listen for free on your smart speaker. Just shout Play Times Radio at it. Uh, you can also get us on DAB Radio in the car or on the Times Radio app whilst you're out and about being extremely busy. And you can follow all our tosh behind the mic and elsewhere on our Instagram account. Just go onto Insta and search for Jane and Fee and give us a follow. So in other words, we're everywhere, aren't we, Jane? Pretty much everywhere. Thank you for joining us. And we hope you can join us again on Off Air very soon. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. 
every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com